0: Job chapter 30, Job chapter 30. The title tonight is, Job's Wealth is Now Poverty. Job's Wealth is Now Poverty. Now remember last time we were in in Job chapter 29, remember Job was taking a trip down memory lane. Remember he was looking back at his wonderful pasts when he knew that God was with him not that God wasn't with him now but you know when we're doing well and we're feeling good and we're prospering we go oh man God's blessing me but then when we go through a trial or some kind of affliction we have the tendency to think well God's not with me right now but Job was in chapter 29 last week was looking down memory lane and his, at his wonderful past. But here in chapter 30, he kind, he's now brought back to the present. He, he, he kind of shakes himself and, you know, says, wake up. You're back to this miserable and disappointing present situation you're in. And you can almost hear him groan out his first words. Notice in verse 1. But now. <laughs> but now. And after looking back and, and just talking about all the wonderful things that he had experienced in the past. But now. Here I am back in the present. Job was smart enough to know that he had to face the reality of the now. The present time. And not to try to escape into the memories of the past. And a lot of people try to do that. People who won't come to terms or won't come to grips with, with life are kind of in danger of losing touch with reality. Pretending like the present isn't real and reality isn't real. And pretty soon they lose touch with themselves. In trying to make things better, a lot of people deny the reality of the world around them. By refusing to live in the past and honestly facing reality, Job took a giant step here in maturity and integrity. And in Job's mourning, he compared his present condition with the past. And he showed how everything had been changed by the judgment of God. And he complains about the past and he complains about the future, about now, the present. Job's present time was quite different from his past. And the relating of of his present situation focuses on the results of his troubles. In other words, I'm in this situation now because of my troubles. And the losses that he suffered materially... And in his family, plus the, he, the, the health problems that he's experiencing right now, those, that, that wasn't all the suffering he experienced in his troubles. He also experienced great disgust from people that knew him, from those around him. And Job spends more time on the disgust part in describing his present situation than on any other side of his present condition. It's the one thing that he spends most of his time on. And all, the, all these people that are around me, they, they, they don't want anything to do with me. It reminds us that men are often more concerned about their loss of respect and, and esteem than they are about any other kind of loss. And the source of the disgust makes this disgust even worse. Because you see, it was those that were hating Job, now because of his troubles, they weren't good people. And Job gives us reasons for their hatred. Let's look at verse 1. He says, but now, notice, they mock at me, men younger than I, whose fathers I disdain to put with the dogs of my flock. Look at verse 8 now. They were, some, they were sons of fools, yes, sons of vile men. He says, you know, I, I don't have any, I have no respect for, because of the condition that I'm in. He says, now I am mocked by people younger than I am. I'm being mocked by young men whose fathers are not worthy to even run with my sheepdogs. He says, they're nameless fools, outcasts from society. Here Job is mourning over his present condition and his friends are mocking him. And here Job starts to complain about his sufferings. He can't go back to the past. And he can't handle what's going on in the present. And he can't face the future. Because earlier on, he felt like there was no future for him. He couldn't see things getting better. And whenever your circumstances, whatever they are, whatever they cause you, or lead you to a place like Job is in right now in the dust and the ashes, remember that Jesus was there also and he knows just how you feel psalm 22 verse 15 a, 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 again a, a, a messianic uh, prophecy or messianic psalm as well in psalm 22:15 listen what it says here speak jesus again speaking i am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint my heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Jesus pretty much sounds like Job. Or I should say vice versa. Seeing then that we have a high priest, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews four fourteen through 15. Jesus was tempted like we are in all points. The similarity of Jesus' circumstances, it says, in all points he was tempted just like we're tempted. Like we are, it said. Like we are, Jesus was tested in the body. You know, he was tried by labor, by exhaustion, by hunger, by thirst, by pain, and by death. He felt all of those things. And like we are, Jesus was tested in his earthly life. He knew what it was to be poor. He he experienced persecution, contempt. He was misrepresented. He was deserted. He was was tested by friendlessness and tested by being alone. And like we are, Jesus was tested in his mind by fear and confusion and sorrow, just like us. Jesus was tested by temptations to do evil. Now, in all of this, we see a similarity to our situations, you know, sometimes when you go to the doctor and, and, you know, and, and you know something is wrong because you know your body. Sometimes it's really hard to make even your doctor understand what the pain is like. And they kind of think, oh, I'm just a hypochondriac. You know, I can't see anything wrong with you. I, I've done these tests. I just, you know, words just don't seem to convey what you're trying to say. And after you've explained all the exhausting and draining feeling that you're feeling the best you can, you're convinced that those who have not felt it don't understand it. Now, think of Jesus not experiencing the actual affliction, but actually feeling the pain of what you're going through. Touched with the feeling. Think of how deep that goes. He's been touched with the afflictions that you and I have been touched with. Job here says that men were disrespecting him. Men younger than I am, he said. Now that was something in those days because in those days the younger normally gave respect to the older. So to be looked down on to be looked down on by the younger it was a humiliating blow to Job. Young man, he said back in chapter twenty nine, verse eight, remember, young men, he said, who once used to step aside when I was walking by. Now they're mocking me. He said in verse eight, I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have even let their fathers run with my dogs. He said, They're nameless fools, they're outcasts from society. Verse 2, he goes on to say, Indeed, what profit is the strength of their hands to me? Their vigor has perished. He says, those who despise Job, he says, he says those guys aren't, weren't good workers. Job described them as being weak and not having the, the manly energy of maturity. Their vigor has perished. They were worthless bums. Look at verse 3 and 4, and then we'll go down to verse 6. 3 and 4, they are gaunt, from want and famine, fleeing hate to the wilderness, desolate and waste. Look at verse six. They had to live in the clefts of the valleys, in caves of the earth and the rocks. He says they're, they're gaunt, they're thin with hunger, and they run off to the desert, to desolate places and gloomy wastelands. He says <clears throat> they, they picked wild greens from among the bushes, and they eat the roots from broom trees. So now they live in frightening ravines and in caves among the rocks. Those who despised Job lived in the slums. That's what the valleys and the caves and the rocks suggested. They ate mallows, it says, which are wild greens from the bushes and roots from broom trees. These scorners scavenged their food from plants of the desert. It would be kind of compared to, you know, eating out of the garbage can today. Verse 5 and verse 8. They were, they were driven out from among men. They shouted at them as at, a, as at a thief. Look at verse 8 now. Again. They were sons of fools, yes, sons of vile men. They were scourged from the land. These scorners, Job said, these guys were such bad character, they weren't even wanted in society. They were driven out. Verse 9. He says and now I am their taunting song yes I am their byword in verse 9 it says and now okay, he started out with but now and here's another one and now they mock me with vulgar songs they taunt me they ridicule me here job tells us about the character of these men who despise him the, the mouths of these scorners were filled with all kinds of mockery. You know, they made up disrespectful, disrespectful songs about Job, and, and he, he became the brunt of all of their jokes. Verse 10. He says, They abhor me, or hate me. They keep far from me. They do not hesitate, notice, to spit in my face. Again, Job, who was once highly respected, was now hated by the lowlifes of the people. That had to really hurt. People who others didn't want around were those now who didn't want Job around. Those who weren't wanted didn't want Job around. This was really a hard and humiliating thing for him. When people, When good people don't want you around, I mean, that's bad enough. That's hurtful enough. But when bad people reject you because they think you're unworthy to be around, that really hurts. And the worst of all, to be spit on, to be spit in the face by somebody else, especially as Job considers them the the low lives of the earth, it doesn't get any worse than that. But remember... Our Lord Jesus knew exactly what that was like because he was spit on too. And this act of spitting is an expression of the greatest hatred and resentment possible. I mean, I think it's the still same today. If somebody to spit on you. Holy moly. Looking at Jesus as more despicable than the very ground they spit on. Matthew Henry said, When Jesus was spit on, he was deemed more despicable than the very ground that they spit on. Isaiah predicted, though, that this would happen in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, verse 11. Because he has loosed my bowstring and afflicted me, they have cast off restraint before me. He says because God has cut my bowstring. Well, you know, if you ever fired a bow, I mean, you don't even have to shoot one. But a bow doesn't do you much good if you don't have a string. And he says, God has cut my bowstring. He's humbled me so he's humbled me so that they have thrown off all restraint. Now, the, nothing holds them back. Look, they look at me so lowly that they don't, they don't hold themselves back from mocking me or, or, or doing things to me that just are humiliating. Job was saying, I'm as weak as a bow without a string. It's useless. And these low-lives took advantage of Job's troubles and they profited by it. They're like those who scheme to take advantage of the less fortunate and charge them extra because they're in a tough situation. Verses 12 through 14. He says, at my right hand, the rabble arises. They push away my feet and they raise against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They have no helper. They come as broad breakers under the ruinous storm. They roll along. He says, these outcasts, they oppose me to my face. He says, they they send me sprawling and they lay traps for me. They block my road. They do everything they can to destroy me. Because they say, he says, they know that I, have, I don't have anybody to help me. And they're coming at me from all directions. Wherever I look, wherever I look, there they are. There they, they jump on me when I'm down. These, these people, these scorners made it so hard for Job. When he says they push away my feet, this suggests they trip him when he's walking. When he says they break up my path, this speaks of obstruction. They put, you know, obstructions before, obstacles before him. These scorners like to bully. They like to bully those that they mock. And Job portrays their hatred here like waves of a sea or ocean that break through a flood wall and pour upon him continually. Until he's overwhelmed. And you know what? People can, mockers can be that way. Once they find a victim. They pour out their hatred continually without holding back. Verse 15. He says, Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind. And my prosperity has passed like a cloud. Joe says, Because of all of this, says, I'm living in terror. My honor, my honor has bl- been blown away in the wind and my prosperity has vanished like a cloud. Job describes his present situation b- with a great unrest. He says, terrors. Terrors of heart and mind. The word terrors mean they assault him and they pursue him. He talked about this problem when he answered Eli's first speech in chapter 6, verse, verse 4, calling them the terrors of God. And when when, when really tough situations, when really great problems come on a person, those problems can really cause a lot of anxiety because of the fears and the worries that they seem to Intensely pursue the one with troubles. And anxiety or worry, that's a big problem for a lot of people. Then as well as today. And anxiety and worry is a big problem even for many believers today. Here's the cure for that problem it tells us to relax and don't be uptight and burdened with many worries and anxieties. We worry about things that haven't even come to pass. We worry about things that, that you know, we, we, we conjure up in our minds or, or we foresee and think what's going to take place and, and we just worry about stuff that is so far off. I remember when I used to do a lot of marriage counseling and then, you know, but... Couples would worry about this and that. And I'd say, and i tell them, you know, make a list. And of all these things that you worry about, mark off which ones you can take care of and which ones you have no control over. And most of them were things that they had no control over. You're worrying about something you have no control over. But we do that. Job's troubles really took away his possessions. He lost his property. He lost his livestock, his servants, and his children. He also lost his health. But in the same statement, he views losing his possessions, that is, his property, he sees losing his possessions, that is, his prosperity, like a cloud that the wind of his troubles simply blew away and they vanished. Psalm ninety four nineteen. the psalmist said, In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. In the multitude of my anxieties within me. The psalmist here was experiencing the deceitful plots of the evil leaders and he cried out to God for help. He knew that the judges were twisting the law to take advantage of the poor and he was slipping into a deep and dangerous situation. The psalmist's heart was anxious within him. He said, but the Lord held me up. The Lord pulled me up and out of my my anxieties and and he gave me peace within. When you're tossed around, when you're thrown around by different thoughts and distractions and questions and, and worries, run to the true rest. The psalmist said, your comforts delight my soul. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Rest, comfort from my sinful thoughts, from my hopeless thoughts, my sorrowful thoughts, my griefs, my cares, my conflicts. In all of those, I will run to the Lord because he's the one who has the comfort. He has divine comforts and they won't just comfort me, but they'll actually delight me. And those comforts of the Holy Spirit are sweet. Who can meditate upon eternal love, unchangeable purposes, God's covenant promises, redemption, you know, our resurrected Savior, his relationship with his people, he's coming again for us. I mean, these are all the the the, the comforts of God and the rest that we have in Christ. I mean, thinking of all of those things, how, how can you think of those things without your heart, you know, jumping for joy? Your personal world is full of confusion and strife. But when Jesus enters into it and he and he whispers to you, peace unto you. And there's a calmness and there's a a peaceful joy. We need to stop focusing on our troubled life and those things that we have no control over. We need to quit focusing on the on the world. And turn to the rest that we find in the God of all comfort. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies. And God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all of our tribulation. Notice. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Notice. Why did God comfort us so that we can comfort others? See, God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. And there's a lot of people today who need a lot of comforting. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, the Greek order of words here, be anxious for nothing, is really nothing be anxious about. Nothing be anxious about. This means to be anxious, to be troubled with cares, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon. It's an exhortation not to worry. An exhortation to not worry. Be anxious for nothing. The cure for anxiety was what? Prayer. But in everything by prayer. The kind of praying necessary is described. First, in everything by prayer. Nothing. Nothing is to be left out from prayer. There's nothing too small or too big. God just doesn't want to say, just bring me the big stuff. Because sometimes we think, oh, that's just, just such a small thing. God, no, God wants to hear it all. Just like you tell your, your, your kids when they're little. You know what? You can tell mommy and daddy anything. Whatever's troubling you, tell us. We want to know. We want to try to help. Everything by prayer. Nothing to be left out. Anything that can upset you or cause you to worry is something that needs to be taken to God in prayer. Second, the holiness in prayer. By prayer. In everything, by prayer. Wiest, commentator, says... The word prayer is the translation of a Greek word that speaks of of prayer addressed to God as an act of worship and devotion. Third, the passion in the praying, supplication. And everything by prayer and supplication. This word supplication tells about the energy in the prayer. Prayer is not to be a casual exercise. And then fourth, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. The praise in the prayer. Thanking God. When we give thanks to God, we're praising God. And prayer without praise of God is useless praying. Because if we can't think if we can't thank God for, for blessings, Why should he bless us again? And we shouldn't expect much from God if our praying doesn't honor him. Fifth, the petitions in the prayer. Let your requests... No, requests. This refers to the petitions involved. Praying involves asking for specific things. What do you need? And then after all that criteria is met, then it says, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, when it speaks of peace of God, don't confuse this peace of God with salvation, which brings peace with God. When we take our needs to Jesus in prayer, God will give us a peace that's beyond our comprehension and this peace will take care of our hearts and minds and it will take away the worry and the, and the anxiety that afflicts us. The psalmist said in Psalm 121, 1 and 2, from whence comes my help? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Plain and simple. My help comes from the Lord. Job's health problems get some serious attention in his defense before his three friends. Look at verse 16. And now, here's another, another, and now, my soul is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. He says, I have no blessing. And now my life just seeps away. Depression haunts my days. Now these are words of grief. Sitting on a pile of ashes, scraping his boils. We were told that back in chapter 2, verse 8. His life is just ebbing away. He's sitting in a pile of ashes. He's scraping the boils with a broken piece of pottery. This was not a happy time for Job. The words take hold of me, at the end of verse 16, means to seize. It's the idea of holding in possession. In other words, these afflictions have gotten a hold on Job. He's in their possession. Job's health problems had taken a firm hold on him and they wouldn't let go. Let's look at verse 17 and then 30. My bones are pierced in me at night and my gnawing pains take no rest. Verse 30. My skin grows black and and falls from me. My bones burn with fever. Job mentioned three parts of his body in these two verses that are specifically afflicted with health problems. His bones, his muscles, his skin. This disease brought out brought on by Satan had really taken a toll on Job's body verse 18 By great force my garment is disfigured it binds me about as the collar of my coat Now Job's health problem soiled his clothing And when it says his garment is disfigured and he says what his clothing when it, it it said it binds about me it, 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 it says to me it was it was stuck to his body. Rawlinson commentator said the purulent discharge, that is the pus filled discharge from his boils, disfigured or changed and made his garment filthy and if you've ever had an oozing sore, and I don't mean to be gross, and, and it's not clean, it sticks to you. When you try to take off the gauze or whatever, it sticks to you. And they just picture all these so, these, and this is me, so take it for what it's worth. This, this, you know, that, that all these oozing pus-filled sores, his garment just clung to him, made his garment filthy. The whole garment clung to his body as closely as a a collar or neck hole does to your shirt. It was like clinging around his throat. I mean, you can't even begin to imagine what Job was dealing with. Another present condition of Job that he spoke about was that he felt like he was being disfavored by God. This wasn't wise speaking from Job now. He's saying, I'm being disfavored by God. God's coming against me. And Job talks about six things where he feels that he's been disfavored by God, where he's being disfavored by God. Look at verse 19, verse one. He has cast me into the mire and I have become like dust and ashes. Job feels like he's been cast aside by God. And he describes this unwanted situation. He says, I've been thrown out like dust and ashes. That everybody throws away. And and, you know sitting in a pile of ashes. It probably helped him to, to think of this. And like ashes that people just throw away. And so since God doesn't want me. He feels like nobody wants him. The speeches of his three friends. Would also encourage that. You know would promote that idea. Verse 20 and 24, he says, I cry out to you, but you do not not answer me. I stand up and you regard me. This kind of sounds like a contradiction. But it's when I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up and you regard me. It's the following of you do not. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up and you do not regard me. Verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 24. Surely he would not stretch out his hand against a heap of ruins. If they cry out when he destroys it. He says, God, I cry to you, but you don't answer me. I stand before you. You don't answer me. You don't even look. Surely nobody would turn against the needy when they cry, when they're, when they cry out for help in trouble. You see, because God hadn't answered Job's prayer to be delivered. He feels like God is just, isn't listening to him. He's ignoring him. Job thinks he's a goner. That God won't hear him or help him. Verse 21. But you have been cruel to me. Notice here's another poke at God. But you have been cruel to me with the strength of your hand. You oppose me. Job believes that God is treating him without mercy. Job feels like God doesn't have any pity on what he's going through. Like God doesn't doesn't care about the misery that Job is experiencing. It's really easy to think like this. When we're right in the middle of our problems and when it seems like God isn't doing anything, He's not moving, He hasn't answered any of my prayers yet, nothing's going, but that's wrong thinking. It's wrong thinking. Verse 22. You lift me up to the wind and you cause me to ride on it. You spoil my success. Another poke at God. God, you throw me into the wind and you allow to just take me away and destroy me. Job portrays his troubles like wind coming along and blowing things into the air. And whatever is blown into the air doesn't have any protection. It has no control of itself. And the wind can do whatever it pleases. Job sees himself like somebody who has no protection. Someone that the wind of troubles have blown him around however it wants. Verse 23 for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. He says, and I know you're sending me to my death. Again, another poke at God. It's the destination of all who live. We're all going to die. Job feels like he's going to die because of his disease and that God's going to bring him down to death. So Job doesn't believe he's going to be healed at all. Verse 24 and 25. Surely he would not stretch out his hand against a heap of ruins. If they cry out when he destroys it, have I not wept for him who was in trouble? Surely nobody would turn against the needy when they cry for help when they're in trouble. Did I not weep for those in trouble, God? Was I not deeply grieved for the needy? I have no help. Job feels that he hasn't been properly rewarded for his generosity and his compassion in the past for those that he helped who are needy. Not only does Job believe that he hasn't been properly rewarded for the past, and he believes that because of the troubles that he's in. If he wasn't going through this problems, he belie- he would have, you know, he would think that he's been rewarded for the past. But because I'm going through all of this, I haven't been rewarded for the past and the good things that I have done for the need. But through my troubles. Uh, for, but for my troubles, he should say. All that he did, I've been given evil for goodness and I've been given darkness for light. And this is really a great disfavor in his eyes that God is doing to him. And Job sums up his present condition as one who is very discouraged. Job is very unhappy. He's very discouraged. He doesn't know what to do to solve his problem. He doesn't know what to do to get any relief from his pain and relief from his suffering. And then he talks about the madness of his discouragement in verses 26 through 28. But when I looked for good, evil came to me. And when I waited for light, then came darkness. My heart is in turmoil and cannot rest. Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning, but not in the sun. I stand up in the assembly and I cry out for help. He says, so I looked for good, but what comes? Evil. I waited for the light. What do I get? Darkness. Darkness. My heart is troubled. It's restless. Days of suffering, they torment me. I walk in the gloom. I have no sunlight. I stand in the public square and I cry for help. Nothing. I have no future. Now, this isn't madness. The madness is caused by insanity. But it's the madness of a man who is frustrated, who feels helpless and feels hopeless. that takes hold of him when their problems seem to be overwhelming and there doesn't seem to be any answer to them. Job is confronted here with his problems. He can't do anything with them. Can't do anything about them. And this is what frustrates him so much. And and this is what stirs up all of those feelings that he's bringing up that are deep inside. Today we kind of Describe this situation. This situation as my stomach is just churning inside. It's going to give me ulcers. The things that I'm feeling. Verses 29 through 31. He says, "I am brother. I am a brother of jackals and a companion of ostriches. My skin grows black and falls from me. My bones burn with fever. My heart is turned to mourning, and my flute to the voice of those who weep." He says, I'm considered a brother to jackals and a companion to owls. My skin has turned dark. My bones burn with fever. My heart plays sad music. My flute accompanies those who weep. I have no ministry. In the past, Job's words brought encouragement and hope to a lot of people. But now his words, they were like the howling of the jackals. He says, they were like the moaning of owls. In closing, because Job's hope was gone, Job's song was like a funeral song. His harp and his flute just played soured music. How could he speak encouraging words to other people when he himself was in this this pit of discouragement? He has a tear in his voice all the time. And that's, that's his condition now. He's asking for sympathy. He's asking for somebody to feel something for him. And he's certainly a man that's to be pitied. But you'll notice that there's no brokenness of spirit. God has been put at a big disadvantage in Job's life. Job's a proud man. He justifies himself instead of justifying God. In fact, he blames God for all of his woes. What's Job's problem? Pride. It's the same thing that caused Satan to fall. It was the sin in the Garden of Eden, it's that awful thing that eats like a deadly disease in in man's heart. That awful sin of pride is there in the hearts. And you know what? It lives in all of us. That's why the Bible warns us so much about pride and how God hates pride and it's at the top of the list of the seven things that he hates. Job in chapter 17, 15 had asked earlier in his debate with his friends, where then is my hope? As for my hope, who can see it? I have no hope. Nobody can see it. The psalmist said in Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. His hope was in God, the psalmist said. The psalmist said in Psalm 62, 5, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. Job wasn't expecting anything except the bad. The bad. No future, no hope, no life, no ministry, no nothing. And yet the scripture tells us that the Lord is our hope. The psalmist said that my expectation is from him. And you see, do you expect God? to answer your prayer do you expect God to bring you relief do you expect God to do something you see where there is no expectation there is no hope about think about the wonderful the God that we have and and to think as wonderful as he is I have no hope in him that's not very encouraging not very promising. I I really don't have anything to look forward to. Now, he might not answer me when I want him to or when I'd like him to, and we know that, but I have a hope that he's gonna do something. And that's where my expectation lies in him. And that's when I get my eyes off of me and I look at him And I suggest, Lord, just help me to persevere. Help me to wait it out. Give me the ability to hang on. Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for this passage, Lord. And Father, there's no doubt that we have many, at times, come to this place that Job is at. Father, I pray that we would just learn from this passage learn from this chapter and that God that we would expect great and wonderful things from you Lord Father that we know that you're on the throne we know that you're in control we know that your desire is for good and not evil for us to give us a future and a hope we know that from the counsels of your heart You care for me. That you're going to do for me. Therefore, let us cast all of our cares upon you because you care for me. You care for us, God. So, Father, may you bless my brothers and sisters. May you bless those who are watching, Lord. May you comfort them. May you relieve them of their anxieties, Lord, as they pray. Make their requests known to you, Lord. Their supplications. Praying and thanksgiving, God. Meeting those principles of prayer. And then, the peace of God will comfort our minds and our hearts. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. Father, we pray that you would just go with each one right now and protect them on their way home. Just Keep them healthy and safe, God. And we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome.